From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up. This is like a gift from God to come down and help prevent it from being spread. That was House Speaker Nancy Pelosi at a joint press conference earlier today with Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer. What was she talking about? I actually don't know. Uh, But we'll be joined momentarily by House Minority Whip Steve Scalise here to talk about Schumer's claim that the recent disputed election has handed Democrats a mandate, a mandate, mind you, to pass the marijuana-laden Heroes Act. Someone has been smoking something. Maybe we'll find out who and what. And is a precursor of the intolerant, is this a precursor of the intolerance to come? Law firms representing President Trump's legal challenges to potential cases in potential cases of voter fraud are the target of public shaming campaigns by the left. What is the left afraid of? I thought they idolized the courts. Dr. John Eastman, senior fellow and director of the Center for Constitutional Jurisprudence at Claremont Institute, is here with more on that. And what can be done about the legacy media and the social media's near blackout on the growing number of voter fraud claims? The group has launched the EveryLegalVote.com initiative. We'll get the details from Kevin Freeman, who is a part of the effort. And given the extreme inaccuracy of most of the polling industry going into this year's election, there are calls from within to reform the system. Are polling firms in the media too close and even financially interdependent? Public opinion pollster and editor-at-large of Ballotpedia, Scott Rasmussen, is here to answer those questions and more. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Parler, it's at T. Perkins. And by the way, I've got a poll question for you today, and here it is. You can text the word radio to 53445. That's 53445. What social media platforms do you primarily use? Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Parler, or you don't use in it? Let me know. Text radio to 53445. All right, earlier today, the House Minority, or I'm sorry, the Senate Minority Leader, Charles Schumer, and the House Speaker, Nancy Pelosi, held a joint press conference uh, to call for the passage of the HEROES Act. Now, that is the bill that, I don't know, $2 trillion, that the House passed. It's been sitting in the Senate for a couple of months. There's been negotiations back and forth between the Senate, the White House, and the House, I guess Pelosi, you should say, uh, to get a reasonable bill through. Now, there's a reason the HEROES Act doesn't work is because it, it bails out um, mismanaged states and cities, all Democratic-led. And it it does a host of other things we're going to talk about in just a moment. But I want to play this clip of uh, Chuck Schumer saying that this is a referendum, this is a mandate from the people this past election. This election was more, maybe more a referendum on who can handle COVID well than anything else. The Donald Trump approach was repudiated. The Joe Biden approach was embraced. And that's why we think there's a better chance to get a bill in the lame duck if only the Republicans would stop embracing the ridiculous shenanigans that Trump is forcing them to do and focus on what people need. And joining me to talk about uh, those shenanigans, they're being forced to uphold like decency, uh, common sense and fiscal responsibility is the House Minority Whip Steve Scalise of Louisiana's first congressional district. Steve, welcome back to the program. Hey, Tony, always great to be back with you. 
So uh, let me just ask you point blank. Was there a mandate in this last election to pass the HEROES Act? I'm not sure what election results they're looking at. Speaker Pelosi's talking about the results that ended up having her get a net loss of at least 10 seats as opposed to a net gain of 10 seats, which she's predicting. That's a 20-point swing. That's a pretty big mandate against socialism, Uh, not for a bill that, as you point out, deals more with marijuana than jobs. It uh, sends billions. I think we may have lost him. $100 checks to people here illegally. Uh, Those are the kind of things that are in the HEROES Act. Yeah, and it goes it goes even further. I mean, there's a lot of policy that is woven deep into the Heroes Act. Not only does it have a huge price tag, I think it's roughly two uh, trillion dollars, but it, uh, it it redefines terms like non-discrimination to advance their whole uh, sexual orientation, gender identity issue. It actually precludes it will preclude by uh, in effect faith-based organizations from being able to be a part of the coronavirus relief. Uh, it is. Uh, it also, Stephen, I know something you, you've worked very hard on when it comes to the educational relief provision. It excludes private religious schools and homeschooling. Absolutely. And, Tony, of course, days like now where you've got some school systems that are still refusing to educate children in the classroom, uh, there is no better more important time to have the debate about school choice. If somebody's going to take your money but not educate your child safely in person when other school systems are willing to, then parents ought to be able to go to those places that will safely educate their child uh, while taking the money. So, But so much in that bill from bailing out failed states, uh, they have a section that releases an untold thousands of criminals from prison. They, don't, you, they still can't even tell you how many people that would apply to. What does that have to do with covid now, look, there are, there are bills that would get huge bipartisan votes that would just renew paycheck protection program loans for small businesses. The fact that they look down on small businesses as if it's some kind of corporate bailout. There are millions of families that don't want to be unemployed and their businesses are about to go under. You could save those jobs. That's where our focus ought to be. Right. And it also, as I, we made reference to the marijuana, what that is in part, there's several elements, but one is the Safe Banking Act rolls that into this, the full text of that bill, which grants marijuana industry direct access to the banking, which currently is prohibited under the Controlled Substances Act because it's unlawful. Uh, so, I mean, what again, what does that have to do with the coronavirus? Um, right. It's a totally separate debate that that is contentious and, again, has absolutely nothing to do with COVID-19 with the businesses who are dying on a vine right now because some of these governors are still shutting everything down, even though the protocols are out there for how to safely reopen, whether it's your restaurants, your schools, your businesses, uh, you know, they're they're killing jobs. And by the way, deaths from non-COVID related things like substance abuse, overdose, depression, suicide are all off the charts right now because of the shut-in. And they won't look at those deaths as part of the cost of these shut-ins. Right. Uh, let me uh, just uh, from the New York Times, we're going to talk about Charles Schumer's mandate. The New York Times in their exit polling on the top five issues that matter in deciding how you voted for president. Number one was the issue of the economy. Thirty five percent said it was the economy, uh, followed by 20 percent of voters saying it was racial inequality, uh, followed then by the coronavirus pandemic at 17 percent. Uh, followed then by crime and safety tied with health care and 
health care policy at 11 percent. 17 percent to me does not sound like a mandate. No, and it was not a mandate for them. Uh, but look, they, they don't care about what the, the will of the voters is. You saw Chuck Schumer just Sunday uh, in New York saying, if we change, George, we change Georgia, we change America. I mean, do, do the people of Georgia recognize that Chuck Schumer wants to bring his New York values to America using two Senate seats in Georgia? They, so he literally would view the two Georgia seats as proxy votes for the state of New York and their values. I don't think that's where Georgia is, but that's that's what they're trying to do. And you even saw Joe Manchin standing up saying he's not going to vote to pack the court or to defund police. And, of course, he and AOC are now in a big back and forth. So liberals are fighting socialists right now over what happened, what went wrong in the election. Only consumer and Pelosi be so delusional as to think that that is some kind of mandate. Why are they fighting within their party right now in a vicious war uh, if they had a mandate? Well, I think if you want to talk about taking New York values to the South, uh, you might want to ask outgoing Senator Jones from Alabama how that worked out. Right. He voted with Chuck Schumer for those New York values and and got repudiated. And he outspent Tommy Tuberville probably five to one and got destroyed. And think about Michael Bloomberg, Tony. Michael Bloomberg went to Texas, spent $100 million to flip the Texas legislature from Republican to Democrat. And what ended up happening is they got more Republicans. And he did the same thing in Florida. He spent over $30 million in Florida to flip their legislature, and they rejected his New York liberal values in Florida, and they increased their Republican margin in Florida. So maybe, maybe Bloomberg will spend tens of millions of dollars in Georgia to help us win those two seats and hold those two Republican Senate seats. You know, let me ask you a question, Steve. I know you're you're headed to a meeting with the new incoming uh, members of Congress, but I, I want to ask you this. You, you've pointed out what's been happening around the country this election. The Republicans gained, I don't know, they're, they're still being tallied, but you're, you're going to be within striking distance of the majority uh, in the House. And I think in the midterm election that happens. You've got the, the Senate was not handed over to the Democrats, as we've been discussing. There's two uh, runoffs races in Georgia that will decide the outcome there, but there's still, it's right now, 50 seats in Republican hands. You've got state legislatures that have made gains across the country. The, the What the, the blue wave that was projected did not happen. The pollsters were wrong. I'm going to talk later about that with Scott Rasmussen. But the reality is there's there's some inconsistencies here. Why the president, who's many, who many people wrote his coattails, these state legislatures, the Congress, um, it just doesn't add up. And I think that's why a lot of people are asking questions about the outcome of the presidential election. Yeah, Tony, you know, the, there are a lot of states that had serious irregularities and didn't even follow their own laws. I mean, look in Pennsylvania. The law is clear that any ballots that come in mysteriously after 8 p.m. on Tuesday night when the voting ends aren't supposed to be counted. And yet they were counting those in. No one's been able to give us an exact number. If it was more than the margin, then that changes Pennsylvania because that violates their own law. And the Supreme Court even told them the other day to keep all of those ballots separately uh, because there are serious questions raised there. Georgia's state law has a mandatory recount because it was such a close race. You look at some of these other states, Michigan, Wisconsin, where they weren't even allowing Trump poll watchers, which, which their laws allow for you to watch what they're doing. They wouldn't let you watch what they were doing. What are you doing behind closed doors when the law says you have to let people watch you and be transparent? You kick them out the room. 
Yeah. Clearly, you had to be doing something nefarious if that's what happened in violation of your own state's law. This has to be cleaned up. And I applaud President Trump for standing up for the rule of law and standing up for his rights, which are clear under the, the law. You go back to 2000. Uh, Al Gore would be president uh, for that next four to eight years if they would have just said, OK, AP called it for Al Gore. I guess he's president. Well, guess what happened? He didn't get the votes. No state has certified Joe Biden as the winner. Not one state has certified Joe Biden as their winner. That's a swing state. And yet the AP wants to declare him the winner. That's fine for them. But they're not the ones who send electors to Washington to select the next president. Yeah, this is far from being decided. Steve Scalise, thanks so much for uh, taking time to join us today. Always great to be with you, Tony. Appreciate the work you do. God bless. All right. Steve Scalise, the minority whip in the House, represents the 1st Congressional District of Louisiana. All right. uh, We're up against uh, a break, but when we come back, I want to play the full clip of uh, Nancy Pelosi so you can hear it all in context and you can decide what she was saying. So I'm going to play that clip from her from a press conference earlier today that she held with Chuck Schumer, saying that they had a mandate to pass the HEROES Act to address the coronavirus. And, and by the way, the Republicans have been working. If you've been listening to this program, they've offered, I think, three different proposals that have been voted down by the Democrats. Now, they were very targeted on dealing just with the coronavirus relief. It didn't include all the other stuff that they want to throw in here. And I commend the Republicans for holding the line. I commend McConnell for holding the line on that. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk about the shaming that's taking place against law firms representing the president, a sign of things to come. Don't go away. Hey, Matt. Hey, Hannah. What's going on? Why so gloomy? Well, I'm a little disappointed. I had a lot planned to do during the stay-at-home time, and I just didn't do it. Oh, yeah? What did you have planned that you didn't get to do? Well, I was actually hoping I would finally be able to get time to do a regular Bible reading routine, and I started a couple of times. I just didn't stick with it. Don't be too down on yourself. Starting a new routine can be hard, but one way to help is to join in with others and to have a good game plan. I think I have a good solution for you. Oh, yeah? Tony Perkins and FRC are doing a two-year study in the Word. They have it all mapped out. When did they start? I I would be so far behind. Oh, that's not a problem. You can literally jump in any time. There's a daily reading just a couple of chapters a day with questions to help you think about what you're reading. Nice. Where can I find this? Go to frc.org slash Bible, and you can get started. Where's that again? frc.org slash Bible. Got it. Checking it out now. In a recent poll... It was revealed that only 6% of Americans hold a biblical worldview. This research also indicated that Christianity's teachings on abortion, marriage, and homosexuality are not only misunderstood, but seen as dangerous and subversive. In response to this trend, Family Research Council has released a new set of resources in our Biblical Worldview series. In addition to our full publications, which cover the topics of Christian political engagement, abortion, religious liberty, and human sexuality, FRC now offers helpful summaries of each publication in this series, as well as accompanying prayer guides to help you and your family pray through these important issues. And finally, our popular biblical principles for political engagement is now available in Spanish. All these resources are free and available at frc.org worldview. Again, that's frc.org worldview. 
Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation by the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Parlor, it is at T. Perkins. And don't forget to take our poll question today. Text the word radio to 53445. That's 53445. Talking about social media platforms. Okay. I, before I bring in our next guest, I want to go ahead and play that clip from Nancy Pelosi. Today, press conference with Chuck Schumer saying that the election had handed them a mandate to pass the HEROES Act. Uh, and they were talking about the whole coronavirus. So here, here's the clip. We are on a path now, this, the vaccines, which uh, Pfizer uh, vaccine coming out of the private sector, show great promise. And that promise is to say all the more reason to wear a mask, self-isolate, quarantine, and, and uh, let us work together to get this done. This is like a gift from God to come down and help cure, cure this pandemic, not cure just uh, prevent it from being spread and with a vaccine uh, to inoculate against it. And as we inoculate against the, vac- the, against the virus, we also should be inoculating against all the injustices that are contained in how it is being spread and the rest. All right. Do you know what she said? I don't. I really don't. Um, Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. Okay, I'm going to move on. No, no more commentary there. There is an effort afoot. In fact, uh, there's been a, a half-million-dollar negative ad campaign that has been taken out against uh, law firms that are representing President Trump in the various claims and uh, to address the voting irregularities that could suggest that there was voter fraud in this election. So when you think about our society, a system of law, uh, we're ruled by law, the courts become a very critical point. What you see now is that there are those that want to keep the president and others from getting into a court of law to present facts to get justice. That is frightening. Joining me now to talk about this, Dr. John Eastman. He's the Henry Salvatore Professor of Law and Community Service at Chapman University Fowler School of Law. He's a senior fellow and director of the Center for Constitutional Jurisprudence at Claremont Institute as well. Uh, Dr. Eastman, welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks very much, Tony. It's a pleasure to be on your show. 
So the, I would assume that this is this would frighten any person who understands how important the rule of law is and how the courts are the ones who hear differing views and look at the facts and issue opinions. Look, yes, indeed, it's terrible. Our, our, our system of justice is based on the adversarial system, and that means you've got to have competent representation on both sides of the aisle. But look, this is not new. The left has been trying to cancel um, legal representation for uh, positions they disagree with for near 20 years. I remember when I tried to file a brief in support of the Boy Scouts way back in 1999 at a fairly conservative-leaning law firm, um, I was told that we were not allowed to do that. And yet there were you know, hundreds of briefs coming in from major law firms on the other side. Um, the same thing went on just recently in the David Delighton. Um, you know, exposure, expose of, of um, Planned Parenthood selling baby parts. I mean, no major law firm would allow their lawyers to work on his behalf. Uh, so he's got a small little nonprofit outfit helping him with, with, you know, scores of lawyers on the other side from some of the most prominent law firms in the country. I mean, this is, this is an attempt to deprive people of an actual uh, valid representation. And I would add one other case that uh, took place just a few years ago when King and Spaulding bowed out of representing the U.S. House of Representatives as it sought to uphold the Defense of Marriage Act. And I think, if I recall correctly, Coca-Cola was one of the ones driving the pressure on King and Spaulding. So you have these big corporate corporate clients that are saying, hey, don't touch these issues. We don't want any of your attorneys working for this set of values or those people who hold those values because we, we disagree with it. No, that's right. And you know, you cannot have a legal system that succumbs to that kind of an extortionate tactic because then one side in the fight is not going to get adequate representation and the results of the litigation are not going to be um, in pursuit of the justice and truth as we expect the adversarial system to lead to. I mean, it's just when you've got 100 lawyers at the top firms with all of their resources against two or three lawyers on the other side with little or no resources, it's just not a fair right. fight. And yet that's that's the, the playing field they're trying to establish. So, Dr. Eastman, w- what is the left afraid of? I mean, I thought they idolized the courts and everything that the courts put out. Are, are they not willing to let the facts be presented and justice upheld? No, because they know the facts here, and the evidence is just compelling, the statistical evidence in particular, but it's backed up by sworn affidavit evidence of a pervasive vote fraud scheme that went on not only in this election, but has been going on for quite a while. Um, we've got evidence, for example, that somebody in, in Wisconsin just added 135,000 votes to the total, and when that was caught, they reduced it and said, oh, that was just a typo error. And then they spread that 135,000 out among 478 precincts and did the same thing. Um, you know, we've been able to demonstrate that with mathematical modeling. Uh, and now we're trying to backfill with the, with the actual uh, evidence on the ground. These, these kind of things are pervasive. We saw 25,000 ballots from nursing homes of people 90 years or older, um, all submitted at the same moment in Pennsylvania. Now, you're not allowed to ballot harvest in Pennsylvania, so the the odds of that happening are astronomically high. Um, and so, and yet, and yet, that went on. And we've been know, we know that nursing home fraud in voting has been going on for a very long time. And I think what's important about this election is the frauds are close enough that it warrants pushing back and really shining the light on what's going on here and hopefully put some people in prison for what's been going on. And change the way uh, 
our elections are supervised and the laws that uh, allow this to occur uh, because it, it, we've got to clean it up. Uh, Dr. Eastman, I, I want to thank you for joining us, but I want to get you back on again to talk more about what's the future. How do we push back against this cancel culture that wants to deny people even justice in a court? I mean, we cannot have a republic, a, 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 the rule of law, if we don't allow people access to justice. Well, if, if Coca-Cola is pushing this, then we need to we need to go to Pepsi, or you know, we need to we need to use our power in the in the market if they're going to use their power in the market yeah. to counteract it. Dr. Eastman, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. All right, uh, th- this is concerning when you consider you know being a, a society of the rule of law. If you can't have access to the courts to present facts, you can't have justice. Don't go away. We're back with more after this. Since the 1973 Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision, Congress and many states have taken various actions to stop taxpayer dollars from funding abortions or the abortion industry. As early as 1976, Congressman Henry Hyde led the effort to ban federal funding for abortions. The federal Hyde Amendment, named after him, established the principle that abortion is not health care and therefore taxpayers should not be forced to fund abortions. Despite these efforts, the abortion industry still receives millions of dollars each year in taxpayer money. In 2019, Planned Parenthood, America's largest abortion provider, received $616.8 million in government funds. Family Research Council's newly updated pro-life map tracks how your state has taken action to stop taxpayer funding of abortions. Go to frc.org slash pro-life maps to see where your state stands in the fight for life. That's frc.org slash pro-life maps. Oh, man. What's wrong? I just missed Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, and our congressman was going to be on the show today. Oh, that's not a big deal. What do you mean? Well, you can always catch the replay of the day's show. How's that? With the Stand Firm app. Yeah? Yep, you can catch that day's program and so much more. You can contact your elected officials on campaigns and policies that are important to you with the Take Action tab. You can listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins live and play previous episodes while conveniently going about your day. You can access the Washington Update, informative blogs, tweets, and critical campaigns on the main feed so you can stay up to date on local and national news. Wow, i definitely use that. How do you find the app? Just visit frc.org slash app and download or search Stand Firm in the App Store. Okay, that's Stand Firm. Yep, Stand Firm. How do you know all this? Because I'm a SageCon, but that's another story. Huh? back. I'm Tony Perkins. You're listening to Washington Watch, the website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, poll question for you today. Text the word radio to 53445. That's 53445. Text the word radio. What social media platforms do you primarily use? Have you made the transition from Twitter to Parler? Using Facebook? What is it? Let us know. Love to hear from you. Also, you can always email me, Tony, at TonyPerkins.com. Love to hear your questions, uh, thoughts, and comments. We were just talking about how the left is now trying to cut the president and his campaign off from the courts. Incredible. Um, 
But that's not the only place. We're seeing increasingly social media not wanting to not wanting to allow conversations to take place in this virtual public square about voter fraud. Of course, the media has moved on. Uh, They're not they're refusing to cover it. So what can be done? Well, a group of uh, concerned Americans have said we're going to try to help get this information out here. And so they've launched an initiative, everylegalvote.com. Join me now to talk about it. Uh, Co-founder of everylegalvote.com and host of the Economic War Room, Kevin Freeman. Kevin, welcome to the program. Thank you, Tony. Always good to hear you, voice. Uh, it's good to be good to hear yours as well. So, Kevin, tell our listeners why you launched every legal vote campaign. Well, you've covered it. Social media four years ago was a place where people could go and they could share stories about the election and so forth. But those on the conservative side or just patriotic Americans who want to see how the vote actually turned out have been shut off. They've, they've been canceled and uh, cut off. And so we created a social media type site. We put it up in, in less than three days uh, with just some concerned people. We didn't have a lot of money. We did it from on a shoestring budget. But it has been incredible. We've had over a million visitors to our site. It's been live three days. And we've had over 900,000 emails sent to legislators in the swing states telling them to count every legal vote. So the website is everylegalvote.com, correct? That's right. Absolutely. And we're working tirelessly to capture the stories. What we do on our site is you can you can go there and you can see evidence in various states. We don't have proof because proof comes after an investigation. The left wants right. to prevent even investigation. But we have evidence from all the key states that you can look up. You can even download your own experiences and share those. So it is really, truly social media uh, for patriotic Americans. We'd love to see 70 million Americans jump on there, the 70-plus million that voted for President Trump, jump on there and demand the state legislatures count every legal vote. And, and, uh, and, and encourage you, to, I looked at the site, I think it's great, great resource, and folks, I would encourage you to go to it. And also, you you will, uh, now you don't verify that everything that's on there, but you give people an opportunity to 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 report what they've seen so you, that information is uh, is out there. Exactly. And this is an idea that Keith Lewis and I had uh, last Friday. We started talking about it. It leaked out to Lou Dobbs, and it just started to explode even before we were ready. People are hungry for access to information because they'll see it one minute on uh, Facebook or YouTube and then tell their friend about it, and, and an hour later it's pulled down. And they're like, well, it was there. Not on our site. We're archiving everything, and we're putting it up so people can see all of the things, and then they can take action. And we're not raising money. That's not the purpose. At least at this time, we have you know, no intention of raising money. We just want to get this every legal vote counted. And people need social patience till the process finishes, something Pres- uh, Vice President Biden promised us but hasn't delivered. Social patience so that we can make sure people have understanding that this was an election with transparency, and it hasn't been yet to date, and we want to make sure the transparency comes. Well, we have to have confidence in the system. I, I would encourage you also to maybe consider uh, listing all of the lawsuits that have been filed so people can find those at one place. I actually made that recommendation to 
uh, Ronna McDonald, McDaniel, the uh, chairman of the RNC today, that they, they track all that. So Because the media is pushing back, saying, oh, this is just rumors. It's just rumors. But these things are real. It's happening. We're, getting, we're actually getting court decisions. The president's uh, campaign has got a favorable court decision out of Pennsylvania today. So information is powerful, and that's one of the reasons the left wants to shut it down. Yeah, no question. And and that's what we're providing. We're providing access to information that the left will not let you see otherwise to social media sharing sites. And, and it's bipartisan because we want the truth to come out regardless of what the consequences are. That's what we're after. We're Christians, and we yeah. believe that the truth has to emerge. I agree. Uh, we can accept the truth, but we cannot accept a lie that masquerades as the truth. Uh, Kevin, thanks so much for being with us today. Appreciate the great wor- work you're doing on this, and we'll have a link on our, our site to uh, everylegalvote.com. Thank you, Tony. Kevin Freeman, to find out more, go to the website, TonyPerkins.com, and I would encourage you to visit the site. Look, we've got to utilize these alternative sources. It, it's amazing to me. We talked about this yesterday. The president, the president has been shut down by social media over 100 times as he's challenging. In fact, I was looking at a tweet he put out today, and it has a little note at the foot, this is a disputed tweet. I mean, it just, it is mind-boggling to see how quickly the left is moving to shut down public discourse. I mean, they didn't do any of this when they were making allegations about the president and Russian collusion and all of that and the impeachment effort. And and all of that has turned out to be false, by the way. None of it has held up under scrutiny. All right. Continuing a conversation about uh, elections and polling. Well, there's now some uh, soul searching among pollsters. Scott Rasmussen encouraging his colleagues to rethink how they do polling. That's next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. Are you looking to grow closer in your relationship with Jesus Christ and in your knowledge of God's Word? Family Research Council has a three-part series titled Three Ways to Read the Bible. This series shares helpful ways to be encouraged and directed by God's truth by observing the text of the Bible and applying it to your life. There is no better time than now to get to know God through his word by looking into the Bible to see what it says about itself, God, and humanity. There's no better time than now to begin devoting time to the Lord and to seek out his meaning for you. This blog series is a great primer on opening your eyes and heart to him through the Bible amid the toils and troubles of today. Check out this helpful resource and learn how to read the Bible with not just your eyes, but with your heart and mind as well. To learn more, visit frcblog.com slash ways to read. That's frcblog.com slash ways to read. When President Donald Trump announced his nomination of Judge Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court, critics were quick to point not to this qualified nominee's record, but rather to her religious affiliations as a reason she ought not be allowed to serve as a Supreme Court justice. In an increasingly secular culture, It is not only the media that views faith as problematic for those appointed to judicial positions. Senators, particularly Democrats, have inappropriately interrogated nominees with comments and lines of questioning spanning theology, congregation membership, and associations with faith-based nonprofits, all seemingly with the intent to discredit the nominees. 
Family Research Council recently released a publication addressing this important issue. To learn more about what the Constitution says about religious tests, visit frc.org slash religious tests. That's frc.org slash religious tests. The rapidly changing moral landscape of the 21st century presents a challenge for Christians committed to biblical sexual ethics. An uprising against morality has overturned centuries of norms concerning the family, marriage, and human sexuality. Secular culture is not the only challenger of Christian sexual ethics. Increasingly, theologically liberal churches and denominations are rejecting the church's historic teaching on marriage. As a result, Christians are facing increasing pressure to compromise the Bible's teaching on human sexuality. How should Christians who are committed to God's Word respond to these challenges? What does the Bible teach about sexuality? Family Research Council has a new publication that presents the biblical principles for human sexuality. It lays out a survey of culture, scripture, and church history that will help pastors and all Christians meet modern-day challenges to biblical sexuality with truth and love. To access this publication, visit frc.org slash human sexuality. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Let me again give you the poll question for today. You text the word radio to 53445. That's 53445. You know, with all of the discussion about uh, social media and all of that, I'd like to know what social media platforms do you primarily use? Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Parler, or you don't use it at all? Uh, let, let us know. Be interesting to see. Again, text the word radio to 53445. All right. Uh, we, we've spent a lot of time in the last couple of months talking about polling. All right. Talking about polling. And, of course, when an election came last week, we saw that, uh, as predicted, the polls were off quite a bit. There's some soul searching going on in the industry, and it goes beyond just the pollsters, because there's a, I see this relationship between the media and polling companies that quite frankly is just a little too close. And I think they're, they've become interdependent financially. And that's, in my opinion, part of the reason we're seeing skewed polls, but I want to talk to an expert and get his opinion. And that uh, is none other than Scott Rasmussen. He is a public opinion pollster himself an editor at large at Ballotpedia. Uh, Scott, welcome back to the program. Always great to be with you. Okay, is my um, suggestion there off track that there may be too close of a relationship between the media that uses polls very heavily in an election season and pollsters who rely upon the media to fund their polls? To fund and promote, and yes, it's it's not a healthy relationship. Um, you know, in, in a, a recent column, I said it's a little bit, uh, the pollsters are a little bit like a bartender who uh, serves a drunk customer one too many shots of whiskey and then is surprised when there's a car accident on the way home. Uh, one of the problems that pollsters have, and, and, you know, and this is something that's been going on for a while, is when there's an election coming up and reporters want more and more polls, we keep feeding them. But there's, uh, uh, you know, there should be a little bit of reflection it's not because of this year or because of 2016. There have been problems with the broader 
uh, election forecasting industry in every single election of this century. Yeah. I, I read your article, and I actually liked your analogy uh, about, uh, you know, the, the bartender being the pollster serving another drink to the media who is intoxicated to begin with with their own ideology, but that's another story. Uh, but yes. to carry that an- analogy a little further, voters ought to be like trial lawyers and, and hold them accountable for what they are doing. And I think your underlying argument in this soul searching that you're calling the industry to do is is a very significant question. It goes beyond just the polls and the media. It goes to, to how it is undermining our whole electoral system. Absolutely. Uh, you know, what happens when we have... Uh, forecasters saying one thing is going to happen and then something else entirely happens or the perception of something else entirely happening, uh, all of a sudden there is there are questions raised about fraud. How could they have told us this was going to happen and something else did? And, um, and it just raises a whole series of questions. And adding to that is uh, just the partisan nature of it. You know, many years ago I did some polling uh, on – in four states that all had a team in the final four of the basketball tournament, and all four states were convinced their team was going to win uh, because that's what partisan analysis does for you, and that's what we have a lot in the political forecasting industry. Well, I'm just looking down um, a list of the polls, pre-election polls, uh, USC, uh, Dorn's Live, 54 for Biden, 42 for Trump, uh, Long Island University, 47 Biden, 36 Trump, um, CNBC, 51 Biden, 40 Trump, uh, AP, 51 Biden, 36 Trump. And I mean, that's pretty much consistent with what we see, but that's not what we saw at the polls. No. And, and one of the things, you know, just to be clear, there's a distinction between po- there's all kinds of different types of polls. It turns out that polls that use the old school technology of live operators making calls were further off the mark than anybody else. Um, and there's a reason for that. It's because we don't talk on the phone the way we used to. But we've known society. that. We've known that. That's, that right. that's not a new so, development. Right. And so you actually had a lot of other polls out there that did a much better job of projecting what was going to happen, but the analysts were still convinced that the old school way. So, again, it's, wait, 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 it's a combination of the polls and forecasters that is mixing this up. But but in the media, though, wanted those polls, I believe. That's right. They wanted those Absolutely. polls that showed what they wanted the outcome to be. And that's I think that's where a lot of Americans are, myself included, yeah. uh, is that and, the polls are used more to shape the outcome than, than tell people where or tell the public where people are. That's right. I would agree with that 100%. Um, and, in fact, one of the things and one of the reasons I wrote the article that I did um, is because when I watched on election night, what I saw was not outside the range of what I expected from the data. Mm-hmm. Uh, my final poll on the national level showed that uh, Biden was up by seven with a strong Republican turnout. He would win by five. And it looks like when all the votes are counted, he's going to win the popular vote by about five. Uh, when I looked at that data and all the other information out there, what I told people before the election was there's a range of potential outcomes. The best case for a Republican would be a narrow Trump victory after weeks of recounts. Yeah. Uh, the best case for a Democrat will be a modest Biden victory. So I, I was expecting that, and clearly the results began to come in on the upside for Republicans, but not shocking. But no, but the analysts were totally off, taken off guard by this, the ones we saw on TV. 
And I think it's because uh, of what they were hoping to see. And, and we've had you on the program before and some other pollsters that have modified their methodology because that the because the habits of Americans have changed and also because of the uh, the the cancel culture we live in that some people are reluctant to actually tell the mm-hmm. truth and so you've got to go about it different ways and those those pollsters uh, were more accurate in their projections so that that would tell me that number one th- that's not new and as I just said a minute right. ago I, I they should have changed their methodology, but they didn't, and I think it's for a reason. Well, I think there's a lot of reasons for it, and one of them is the one you cited. There's another reason within the industry. Um, you know, a lot of those pollsters want to establish themselves as the gold standard and pretend that anything that's, that changes the way we've always done it must be wrong. So they were trying to establish a way to distinguish between good polls and bad polls, and it kind of backfired. Uh, I mean, there's no other way to, to say that. But, it's again, this is something that's been going on. Uh, and, look, I think the problem is bigger than polling methodologies. Let's start with a very simple fact. If you have a close race, um, I did some polling in Utah for, for the congressional race out there. My final poll showed the Republican, Burgess Owens, up by a single point. Well, while I'm happy with the way, you know, you, you present that poll and you try to present the range of potential outcomes, it is impossible to use a poll with a three-and-a-half-point margin of error to predict who's going to win a race that's going to be decided by one or two points. Right. It's the wrong tool for the job. Uh, so one of the things I suggest in my column is we, as pollsters, need to take some responsibility and stop doing those last-minute polls. I am not going to do a poll on the night before the Georgia runoffs this year. I will do some polls early. I will try to set a focus on what the people – of Georgia are looking at and seeing and what, who is motivated and lots of information, but I'm not going to do a poll on the last day to say, oh, here's who I think is going to win by how much. Yeah, because I, 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 I mean, having been an elected official and having been around this for almost three decades, those polls are, are utilized by the, the campaigns and the candidates and the, and the media to shape voter uh, actions. And, right. And, and so if you're if your candidate is uh, is, you know, winning, you're motivated. Uh, now, if they're winning too far, it can backfire. If they're way out ahead, it can it can uh, in, just say, well, I don't need to go vote. My vote won't matter. Uh, but it, right. especially through, through the process, it just it kind of people I found that people's psycho the psychology of, of people is the psychology of winning. People want to be on the prevailing mm-hmm. side. And so that has a shaping influence. Not everybody's driven by by a hardcore ideology and principle, many times people just want to be on the prevailing side. I saw that among elected officials. I see it among the electorate as well. That's right. And we also have to remember uh, that not everybody lives and breathes politics. Uh, you know, only about 13 percent of voters talk politics uh, every day or just about every day. Uh, twice as many rarely or never discuss it. So when you're talking about a wide range of people like that, uh, the information that comes yeah. out at the last minute can have an impact. Scott, uh, and, uh, well, go ahead. Finish that thought because I want to I move no. on to something else. Well, no, and I was going to say I think one of the things that I see is harmful in all of this when you talk about the election polls this way is there are many good uses of polling um, that just sort of get lost in the shuffle because of this obsession. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we should be doing a lot more polling to get to the underlying attitudes of what voters think. 
and doing so in their language, not in the language of, of official Washington or in the language of politicians. And we need to find ways to lift up that kind of information because what that's doing is not telling you, uh, you know, so-and-so is going to beat this other candidate. It's beginning to say, you know, huh, I need to understand why somebody else thinks that way. Um, and let's find some ways to build bridges to that. Absolutely. And that's how we often use polling at the Family Research Council is to try to figure out where people are, why they're there, and how we can help, you know, move to a consensus on something. A lot of times it's just language, the language that right. you use, that they understand. Because words, you know, words don't always retain their meaning, especially in the culture in which we live today. There's the people changing the language. That's right. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I give an example in the article on one that's uh, on an issue, obviously, very important to many of your listeners uh, on the topic of abortion. Uh, I see lots of polls coming out about, you know, do you favor or oppose Roe v. Wade being overturned? Well, I would actually ask people what they thought would happen if Roe v. Wade was overturned. And it turns out a majority of voters don't know. They don't know what the legal issues are. They don't understand the implications of what would happen if it is overturned, if that's the case, um, then what does what's the value of asking them if this law right. should be overturned? Because they don't know. They're just kind of guessing. Way to focus are their, yeah, you want to focus on their attitudes. What do they think right. about the issue? What are they trying to get to? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we just got a couple minutes left, uh, Scott, and I want I want to step back for a moment from the, you know the polling in this election cycle to why it matters. Because you and I were talking before, and you, and you actually write about this in your article that this has been a problem going back probably 30 years uh, where polls are off, but it matters more now because we're such, we're such a divided nation where we're, an election comes down to just a handful of votes. So now people are paying very close attention if there's allegations of fraud or if there was manipulation. Uh, it matters now. That's right, because we're having such close divided elections. These, these differences seem to make, Get, get magnified. Uh, you know, the polls were actually further off in 2012 than they were in 2016. They predicted a very narrow uh, victory for Barack Obama, and he won by a, a significantly bigger margin. Well, in that case, nobody got too upset because the end result was what we expected. When you have a situation where Donald Trump can be elected president in 2016 by 77,000 votes in three key states, um, all of a sudden, all of these assumptions matter. And what happens when, when voters watch and, and you, you're expected, you're told one thing is going to happen and something else does, there is a, think, there's a, a natural inclination to think something's rotten here, somebody's cheating, and it is challenging the legitimacy of our government. And all of us should be concerned about restoring that sense of legitimacy. And, you know, quite frankly, under a fallen man, there's always going to be those who are going to do something that's not right according to the rules. But I think what's, what has drawn more attention is that when you have the people in the power who should be abiding by the rules, bending the rules, changing the rules, or ignoring the rules, that inflames the situation even more. Absolutely. In fact, you know, and this is, this is a sad commentary on where we are but a lot of people on the left were really surprised that some of their accusations against Donald Trump being corrupt or cheating didn't help them more. Um, and they did find polls to support their idea that a lot of people maybe thought Donald Trump used this position to help his family. What they missed when they were talking about that 
was, yeah, seven out of ten people think that about Donald Trump. They also think that about seven out of ten also think that about Joe Biden. Uh, there is a perception that if you are in the political world today, yeah. you are corrupt yeah. um, and you are going to do whatever it takes to win. And that's part of the problem. Yeah, no, I, I, that's been there for a long time. I experienced that my, myself. Scott Rasmussen, <laughs> as always, great to have you on the program. Always appreciate your insights. And I, and I want to continue the conversation about reforming. Uh, the polling industry and, and, and the whole relationship with the media. I think it's I think it's a critical component of restoring confidence in our system. Well, I agree with you on that, and I'm going to be writing a lot about it. All right. Well, we'll be talking a lot about it. Scott, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. And, folks, let me remind you about the poll. Uh, text the word radio to 53445. I'll have the results for you uh, tomorrow. What social media platform do you primarily use? Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Parler, or you don't use social media? Let us know. Text the word radio to 53445. Folks, I want, I want to thank you for uh, being a part of Washington Watch. Encourage friends to tune in. Download our Stand Firm app, and you can listen anywhere in the country, actually anywhere in the world. And uh, share the information with your friends. You know, our republic, as I've said many, many times, will never be maintained by spectators. It requires participants. And I want to encourage you to be involved. And I know many, many, many of you are, but you need to bring in others. So share the information from Washington Watch with them. All right, until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul, found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you have taken your stand. By all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.